well, good morning. Glad that you're here. The holidays are behind us and uh, new beginnings are approaching. Uh, the McClures are going to have a baby here at some point, uh, and so we will celebrate that Woo! with... <laughs> yeah! Ho, ho, whoa! Chase is going to be a father. Let's just sit on that for a moment. Speaking of prayer, <laughs> now, that baby is going to be in good hands with Katie. Um, now, we're, I mean, honestly, we're, we're super excited for, for them and, and their new journey, and, and I think it's going to be the first grandkid, is that right? So, yep, there's grandma. Uh, and so, it is uh, going to be an extremely spoiled child that is well-loved. If you want an example, watch Teddy. Uh, and watch how the Rowan and Bulow family circulate and hover. Uh, the, he's like the moon and the sun. So that's what's going to happen. Uh, and you're having a girl, so it's even going to be worse. So there's nothing like a baby girl, the best. And then they become teens. Oh, okay. All right, enough with the McClure's. We're starting this brand new series called Blueprints, and here's the, uh, here's the basis for it. We want to open up the scriptures, so I'd love for you to open your Bible. I don't really care what book you open up to, just open it. Uh, if, you have your, if you have your phone and you use that or a, or a tablet, go ahead and turn those on. If you don't have a Bible, we have several in the seats in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take it. Uh, it's yours. You don't have to return it. We'd love for you to have a Bible in your hands. We are going to be digging. Now, I want to give you a request as we get ready to launch into this series. My humble but very, very sincere request is that if you have a Bible, we don't do this often for all of our series, I'm going to ask that you bring your actual Bible. I know a lot of you like to use your phones, which I do too, to, if I'm honest. But for this one, I'm going to ask that you bring your Bible to church, something we all used to do, a lot of us used to do back in the day. Uh, we would come into church holding our Bible, and now we have our phones, and we don't walk in with anything. Uh, and so please, A, bring your Bibles. B, sometime this week, get a notebook. It could be a small notebook. Uh, it could just be a pad of paper, whatever. But I want you to take notes. Again, we don't do this very often, once every blue moon. This series, I'm going to ask you to take notes. And that means I expect you to bring a pen, bring something to write with, and your Bible, and that you're working with the sermon. This is not a series for you to sit back and just listen and receive. This is something to wrestle with and participate with. So I'm asking, uh, and, and I know a lot of you, and if I don't see it, I'm going to ask you again personally, please do me this favor. I think it is unbelievably critical because of the content that we're wrestling with and because of the uh, direction that we're giving. You will forget it unless you write it down. So please, please, please uh, do those two things for me. It's only five weeks and then you don't, you don't have to bring a notebook if you don't want. You can go back to your phone. But please do those two things with me. Here's the position that I want to offer as we launch in to this series, this, this idea of going back to the original blueprint and allowing this book to be our guiding force, not culture, not our opinions and our family members, but truly the Word of God guiding us, is my, my position is this, what if the issue really isn't about materialism or abortion 
or poverty or whatever we want to fill in the blank, whether we're covering the topic or not, what if, what if the issue isn't the topic at hand? What if the issue is God, that that's the issue? And when I say God, what if the main issue is knowing and living by the scriptures that inform us of God? What if that's really the issue as we dive into things? Now, throughout this series, there's going to be various speakers I'm sharing. Uh, I'll be sharing two of the weeks. Mark Popenhagen will be speaking on materialism and poverty. Uh, Mark Arnett next week is preaching on racism. Uh, and then uh, Alex will be talking on same-sex attraction, homosexuality. And so we are going to unpack some things. You will be offended at some point. And, and when I say that, I don't mean it's going to be a malicious offense. It's just something, when I say offend, it's going to be something that rubs you a little bit. You ever have uh, a stub toe? And anything that even gently touches that toe hurts. It, it caught, even if you put your sock on, it hurts. Everybody in this room, and if you're listening online, we all have experiences. We all have family members and friends. We all have education. We all have our favorite news channel. We have podcasts. We have magazines. We have family members and friends who speak to us. We also have God. We also have sin. There's a lot that is brought into this room when we decide very carefully but very boldly to speak about culture. So I want you to know that we will not offend you on purpose. And I want you to remember that because there might be something said at some point over the next five weeks that really is a stinger for you. And I want you to remember, Brian loves me. Alex loves me, fill in the blank, that we would never do anything to cause you pain or mental or emotional anguish. If something comes up during this series, something is said either very, very intentionally or off, my, my hope and my ask is that you would uh, come talk to us, either through an email, a text, a cup of coffee, some way, just don't let it linger because that's not our intention. That, can we have that agreement uh, as we walk through this? So the question is, if we were to fix our attention on the love and goodness and truth and mercy and hope and holiness that is shown by God through Jesus Christ that's revealed in the scriptures, could that change then how we approach and view culture? That's our goal as we launch this morning. And as we do, I'm going to ask that a particular uh, scripture passage be a little bit of your flagship out in front of you. And it's from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself or herself and take up their cross daily and follow me. Come after Christ, not before him. As we go into this series, I'm going to beg you to come after Christ. Let him go in front of you. Let him and his scriptures, not your opinion, not CNN, not Fox News, not a podcast, not something that you've always believed in your whole life, let him and the scriptures be your guiding light through this. That will be hard. I just want to keep addressing that because this is a blueprint. 
And the blueprint, unlike some that maybe John McGovern or, or Donald and others, some blueprints can be changed because you make adjustments in a building project along the way. This blueprint does not change. It is unchanging and it's useful in all areas, the scriptures describe itself. If you think you are right about a topic at, of, at hand, what we're going to help you do is try and live that out in the midst of culture to do it in love and grace and mercy. In our culture, we're swimming upstream. A lot of you know this because you're older than me and you've been around the church longer than me. But it used to be where you could pray or you would have presidents pray and, and even lead the country. You know that we've had presidents lead the country in prayer through radio broadcasts. We've had presidents proud to go to prayer breakfast and hold the banner of God before them. Now, are we perfect as a nation? I think we all know the answer to that. But the idea of biblical values of following God, or even including God for that matter, is waning. And we're living in an age where that is going to become less and less and less. It's going to be in culture, it's going to be in government, it's going to be in our families. We're swimming upstream. If you have ever tried to swim upstream, any of you ever really tried that in a really hard current? Uh, if you've ever been to the ocean uh, where we used to live in Ventura, there's what's called a riptide. And if you've ever been in a riptide, it's miserable. Uh, and it's, depending on the severity of it, it's unbelievably scary because the current is taking you and there's nothing you can do. In fact, many people will die because they're trying to swim against that riptide. The, what you need to do is just ride that tide until it breaks and then you can come into shore, sometimes a mile or two away from where you wanted to get back. But if you try and swim against it, it could kill you. As Christians, we are called to swim against what culture is giving us. Now, I need to preface, are we against culture? No. Are we completely obstinate towards culture? Are we ready to fight culture? No, no, and no. But the culture that says it's unbiblical, the culture that says we're not going to follow Christ, the culture that says we're going to do things, can we get, there's a tingy in this, can we get that off? Uh, the, the culture that says we're going to push against that, then we are called to swim upstream, and that's going to be a very, very difficult effort. I want to read a quote from pastor and author Matt Chandler. He says this, this is a great time to be a Christian. I know it might not look like that, from the terrorist attacks to racial injustice to political chaos to an increasingly secular world that seems to have lost its moral center. We find ourselves in some unique and challenging times. Fear runs rampant across our culture landscape, and especially and increasingly, fear sits in the pews. Now, some of you have no idea what a pew is. You think it's a curse word. That is a long bench that used to go, that used to belong into a church. We have seats. Some of you are brand new to church. That's what a pew is. You've now learned a new word, pew. Pew, pew. 
Fear sits in the pews or seats of our churches. Talk to most Christians or read Christian blogs and social media streams, and it's clear the church isn't what it was, or rather, it isn't where it was. Now, we're going to be looking at how we swim upstream against a culture that is teaching unbiblical values, but let me first real quickly uh, address something that is actually good in this statement. There is something good that the church isn't what it was or where it was because we've learned. We've grown. And so, woe be to us who might choose to sit in this room and just think we're right about everything because we're not. History shows that. So, in some ways, the church has evolved, continues to evolve, continues to make amends, continues to say we're sorry for the things that either were done to people or that were taught from a stage. On the flip side, Regarding biblical values, regarding standing up for truth, regarding defending the scriptures, we have become a watered-down nation. It's not where it used to be in the negative aspect, and that's a problem. But Pastor Matt Chandler says, which I completely agree, this is an incredible time to be a Christian in today's culture. I want to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you should hear lots of this. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15. And here's what it says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Peter begins this section, this, this part of the passage, and, and if you go to any apologetics specialty, they will all refer you to this passage. This is kind of the, the leading charge for apologetics, which is to have an answer, to have a defense. Peter begins this section with a rhetorical question, who is going to harm you? This is rhetorical, but this tells us something. This gives us an idea of when this letter was written. We know it was not during the time of 64 AD. And why do we know that? Because there's this really interesting fellow named the evil emperor Nero. I put the evil part on there. But his name is the Roman emperor Nero. He has an incredible head of hair. He had it his entire life. But he was ruthless, he was evil, he was satanic, he was led by the enemy. And we know that right around 64 AD is the time that this man began to round up and torture and kill for game your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want to move past that very quickly. For game's sake for fun, for laughter, rounding up your brothers and sisters in Christ to kill and maim and torture. So when 
Peter writes this and he says, well, who's going to harm you for doing good? If this is written a little bit later, everyone reading the letter is going to go, I know who's going to harm us. This crazy guy. This crazy guy is going to destroy us, but we know that there is something going on at this time. There is conflict. There is opposition because of good, because of this engagement of the Christians engaging in their culture doing good. And good is the life, the ethics, the morals, the behavior the values, the worldviews of what the Scriptures taught, what Jesus came to fulfill. That's the good that Peter speaks of. So when he says, well, what harm of, uh, uh, is going to come of you if you do good? Okay, well, what's good? Good is living the life of Jesus. Good is living the life of what the Scriptures teach. Is there going to be harm? He goes on to say, well, even if you do in, endure, then don't fear. And you see, what we want to do throughout this series is we want to give you courage and strength and answers to engage with culture. We are going to hit on some specific topics, but what we're going to give you this morning is uh, holistic that you can approach any topic in culture with this pattern that we're going to suggest. And this is not to be right. Underline that. This is not a sermon series so that you are armed and ready to be right. Okay? That doesn't help anybody. Fastest way to disengage from culture is to go in thinking you're going to convince them and that you're going to win that argument. That, that, that's not what this is about. But to be educated with proper theology and biblical awareness and faith and the tools to actually engage in a conversation if you're going to take your mission as a follower of Jesus seriously. I've recently read a book called Counterculture. I'm going to give you a ton of books. Some of you like to read. Some of you haven't read since high school. I'm going to give you a, a ton of books. You can either read them or just disregard, but I'm going to give you a lot of books uh, that I would suggest that I've been reading. One of them is called Counterculture um, by David Platt, and uh, I, I absolutely love um, the things that, that he has introduced, and so... Uh, if you're interested in, in that book, it's on Amazon. I think it's like 12 bucks, um, but I strongly suggest it. Here's one thing that David, author David Platt says. On popular issues like poverty and slavery, where Christians are likely to be applauded for our social action, we are quick to stand up and speak out. Yet on controversial issues like homosexuality and abortion, where Christians are likely to be criticized for our involvement, we are content to sit down and stay quiet. It's as if we've decided to pick up and choose which social issues we'll contest and which we will concede. And our picking and choosing normally revolves around what is most comfortable and least costly for us in our culture." It's going to get uncomfortable. But we have to, much like when we addressed mental health and suicide awareness, a lot of you were here for our Sunday on that, we have to address these topics. 
We have to address them with our kids in the room that can handle it, and then we have to address them with our younger kids. I will say this for the next several weeks. If you're not a middle school or high school, I don't suggest you be in here. So parents make the necessary adjustments. We have plenty of, of classes for them. But we have to address these topics if we are going to live the life of Christ in the midst of our culture. And it might be easier to think for a Christian, it's easier for me if I just transform culture. If I, if I try to convince them of everything that I believe, then everything will be good. If I, if I can just change their mind, and again, that's not our purpose in this series. Our purpose is to figure out how do we engage with culture. And, and, and maybe even what's even worse, it's almost better to enter into a, a hostile argument than to withdraw from it to go, well, th- this culture is crazy. I'm just going to stay at home and this, this, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. That's worse. Because I have every topic that we will address, I have several people in my life that are closely tied to it. I don't want to withdraw from them. I want to personally engage with them. And I think you do too. So how? How do we engage with culture and what should we expect? Let's look at the first point. If we're going to do this, and this is where I'm going to give you three points of how do you engage with culture, whether they agree with you or not, whether they are in the church or super far from God, how do we engage with culture in anything that we do? Number one, anticipate some resistance. Just anticipate it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't enter into a conversation of, 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 a, of a touchy, emotional topic with someone that you know doesn't agree with you and then be shocked when there's resistance to you. You should expect it. And if you expect it, then you can respond to it in a more healthy way. Not put up your dukes and not hear all my reasons why I'm right, but maybe sitting back and using the scriptures that say, slow to speak, quick to listen. All we really do when we're around someone that wants to defend that they're right, that person just looks ignorant. And that, again, I don't mean that to be offensive if that's typically your demeanor. But if you're trying to be a Christ follower, you standing up and throwing punches and, and putting posts and, and statements doesn't help anybody. All it makes people that don't agree with you is just want to walk away. And then we're in trouble. Verse 13, anticipate some resistance. Verse 13, but even if you should suffer what is right, this notion of pain when you do good is is found all throughout the Scriptures. We see Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. He, He turns to the Sanhedrin, these religious experts, and he says, You men who are stiff necked and you're uncircumcised in heart and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Again, we enter into this circular argument on this merry go round, and we're just not getting anywhere. And Stephen is trying to proclaim the truth. In Acts chapter 19, verse 20, or or chapters 19 and 20, we read of the riot 
that Paul experienced. You can read about it yourself. Just absolute craziness going on in the Scriptures in Ephesus for what? For standing up for good. Again, let's go back to good. Good is the things of God. Good is the ethics and morals and practices that are taught in the Scriptures. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, based on those choosing to believe in Him, He said this, in this world you will have troubles. Because of me, you are going to have trouble. You're going to have pain. Some of you are going to get killed. You are going to be tortured. You're going to be ridiculed. It is not going to go well for you. Jesus says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Paul reminds us again in this book, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Anticipate some resistance. If you choose as a student to go engage with your friends on, on controversial issues, do not be surprised when there is some resistance. Now, some of that resistance might be good for you because you need to be sharpened. And you probably need to be called on some of your really hardcore beliefs that really aren't Scripture-based. So anticipate that. Resistance is okay, right? We know this. If you go to the gym, you don't work out with feathers. You work out with some form of resistance, Usually, if you go to an exercise machine, you know, they have the little bars and you put the pin in there. Usually, someone who's working out takes the pin, not out and leaves it out, but continues to put it in heavier weight. It creates resistance, and that resistance creates muscle and reduces fat and helps your heart. It, it's all good. Very rarely do you ever see someone pull the pin and leave it out and just start hammering out sets of 10 with no weight. A, it's not going to help, and B, you're going to be ridiculed. So resistance is a good thing. Most of it we can't see. That's the same thing in exercise. We can't see the good that's happening, but we know, based on experts, we know that the resistance is actually good. It's doing something for our bodies. So number one, anticipate some resistance. Number two, we are told in 1 Peter Always be prepared to give an answer, but do this with gentleness and respect. Friends, this is where the church, we have just failed our secular world. We've just failed. As a whole, throwing us all into the same pot, we have not, under the name of Jesus, responded with gentleness and respect. We just haven't. Individually, we might have. At times we may have, but on, under the, the flagship of the church, God's bride, we have not done this, and we're called to respond with gentleness and respect. I don't know how, you know, as a former police officer, I, I, I've spent countless thousands of hours in the courtroom. Uh, hopefully you haven't, uh, but I have, and I've watched both defense attorneys and prosecuting attorneys. There's something very different about the two. A defense attorney is calm, calculated, listens, has definitely a defense, but also is 
uh, cautious in presenting those things, and then cross-examines. A prosecuting attorney tends to be like a great white shark who smells a wounded seal. And I have watched prosecuting attorneys destroy people. I have been the recipient of a prosecuting attorney in the midst of court. It's not fun. It's not fun when you feel like you're sitting on a stand and you are being grilled and destroyed and beaten down. What we're called to be in the midst of our culture is not prosecuting attorneys. It's not our job to go slay culture. If you're doing that, knock it off. Our job is to be defense attorneys. Listen, more calm, more calculated, enter into it, not kill to the death. We are told very, very specifically, enter into this culture, enter into the things that you're doing good, enter into the discussions of homosexuality, abortion, materialism, uh, racism, enter into these discussions with gentleness and respect. You say, well, Brian, isn't there a time to fight? Yes. There's absolutely a time to fight. But they're very few and far between. And according to the scriptures, they're always led and guided and dictated at his time and in his place. We tend to say, I'm going to fight because God needs me to stand up and fight. When maybe your directive is to stand down. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you want to turn to this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 24, it says this. And the Lord's servant, that's us, must not quarrel. Seems pretty clear. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Verse 25, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Friends, it's not our job to save anybody. It's not our job to change anyone's opinion. It's not our job to win an argument. It's not our job to fix. But we are called in this chapter, God's workmen approved by God, our, our servanthood towards God, we are called to engage with the culture but with gentleness and respect and with the truths found in Scripture and not from an article you read. This is our call. And, 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 and I'll reiterate, it's not just our call for those who are far from God. News tip, there are people in this room that don't agree with you. Is that a surprise to anyone? You might be so passionate about an idea, and you may even be right. And there are people in this room that don't agree with you. They see things differently. That's okay. It's okay to view things differently and to have a discussion. 
But our call is not just to be respectful and kind and gentle to the world that's far from God. We're called to do that with one another as well. Unfortunately, you know who we're oftentimes the most mean to? Our family. And that's not just at home, in your homes, that's our church family. Because we feel, for whatever reason, a little bit more safe to really dig and fight and be right. And so that's our call. Scholars use this technical phrase, lotus classicus, for particular texts of Scripture. The term is a fancy way of, of calling our attention to what was deemed to be the classical location or a particular text that supports doctrine. This, this was the idea that if I were looking for an answer to a topic like we are in this series, we would go to the locus classicus and the dip, discipline of apologetics. That's why 1 Peter chapter 3 is kind of at the heart of it. Because this tells us that regardless of what apologetics we're wrestling with, regardless of what topic we're wrestling in culture, we go to 1 Peter 3 as the locus classicus, and it tells us in every topic that we wrestle with, with family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, we are to be gentle and respectful and do it in love. Number three the last one. So the first one is anticipate some resistance when you do this in culture. Number two, answer gently and respectfully. Number three, align yourself with Christ. This is how you enter into culture. If you do all three of these into every cultural topic that you do, you will know that you are doing as the Bible dictates. Life always goes better when we do what the Creator says. Now, does that mean that there's not going to be pain? Does that mean there's not going to be heartache? No, not at all. But you will have the assurance that you're doing it the exact way that God has commanded. Anticipate some resistance. Be gentle and respectful and align yourself with Christ. I want to read just a, a a bunch of passages over you. Do not try and keep up. You can just listen to them. They're not even on the screen. So just even if you want, just close your eyes and listen to this truth spoken over to you because I believe very strongly in that the scriptures are powerful when they're spoken. And so just receive this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us, so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Align yourselves with Christ. We could go on all day, quite frankly, that the, what the Scriptures are describing on how do we do that? What does it even mean to align with Christ? I just read you uh, 10 or so passages that give you guidance on how do we align ourselves with Christ? What does that even look like? And certainly not the least of these in all things as a church, we desire to express the truth of the Scriptures in such a way that is consistent with this command. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. You want to know how you align yourself with Christ in the midst of culture that, yes, might be steering us in a way that's counter to what the Bible teaches? Speak the truth in love. But we are. We are called to speak the truth. Not water it down, but at the same time with gentleness and kindness and respect. And if we align ourselves with Christ, He will be our anchor. You will be anchored. It just is a matter of what and who is your anchor as you engage. And the world around us will watch and will listen. And as we interact with culture, another newsflash, you will respond one way or another. You are going to respond. We may do it with great thought, or we may do it with instinct, or what everyone else around us is doing and saying, what we hear teachers at school saying, or what we hear friends at school saying, or, or their parents. We might grab onto those things, but we will respond. And unless your head is in the sand, there's no denying that less people are claiming to be Christ followers than ever before. That's happening. For those of you who remember what a Christian America looked like, one nation under God, 
good or ill. I love politics, I love history, so I know it wasn't founded perfectly. But that even idea to include the Bible, to include God, to, in, to include the values directed and commanded in the Scriptures are becoming less and less. And for your kids and your grandkids, it will be even less. And you might say, well, it just, it just doesn't feel good anymore. Our country, even the church, our culture, it just, it just doesn't feel good anymore. Times have changed. And yes, at times, this can cause despair. I'll admit it. But it's also a great time to be a follower of Jesus. Because we get to offer love and kindness and gentleness and hope. We, we actually get to engage with not a truth, the truth, the only truth, the blueprint that is unchanging. And yeah, it might have some things in there that are hard for us to hear, and we might have to check ourselves at the door. We will all do that throughout this series. But in all things, we do. We look to the scriptures to know God's will. You see, Christ has shown himself not just to be a, a good moral teacher, uh, a rabbi that you might follow or not follow. Christ has shown himself, and we sing about it, we pray about it, we read about it. Christ has shown himself to be truth. And so we follow. He, he's, he's not a piece of truth among many truths. He's the truth. And again, that's not always easy. Quite frankly, it's not always fun, but it is. And for us to wrestle with that, this God in flesh, this Trinity, this co-eternal God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I love that song that Alex and the team led us in that second song that we sang, those foundational theological doctrinal truths that change everything for us. Because it gives us the truth. So I want to encourage you. We're, this week was to set the stage so that each one of us, as we address these topics, we allow these to be our guidance as we enter into them. But I'm really going to encourage you, please bring your Bible. Please bring your Bibles. Please bring a notebook and a pen. Take notes. Put questions. Things that you don't agree with. That's great. Just engage with us as we do this together. Let's pray. So Father, we are grateful for We're grateful for you, and we're unbelievably grateful for the hope that is found in you. What a crazy thought, that song, God, that we, that we sang, at that, that last one, um, I can't remember the words, but it, it talks about that you are risen. 
and the ground began to shake that day and, and you're not in the grave anymore, that you're alive, you've risen. That's crazy. And that you choose to enter into a relationship with us, that you put up with the audacity of ourselves thinking we know all the answers, that you put up with our sin, that you are the, the supreme judge over all this world and yet you render a verdict of not guilty to us? That's ludicrous. Who would do that but you? So we seek you. In this series in our life groups, in our service. We swim upstream to find truths and to be confronted and to be challenged, but also to be encouraged. Because your word says that the truth will set us free. So it's not truth for truth's sake, it's a freedom. So may we respond with an engagement. May we respond in worship. May we celebrate you and all that you offer. And we pray all these in the strong and powerful and loving and gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand?